you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. You know, today uh, we get to look at where the, our bread is buttered as far as being a Christian is concerned, where uh, we really get into the grind of life. We're going to look this morning about love. We're going to look at how we extend love, and then we're going to look at how we react when somebody slaps us in the face. All right? We're going to look and talk about genuine love this morning. Remember, the first 11 chapters have to deal with doctrine or teaching. And then chapter 12 transitions into application of the things we've learned. And so we learned last week in chapter 12 about being transformed by allowing the Lord to renew our mind. And then we looked at uh, Sunday night, we looked at how that affects the church and the gifts that God gives to the church. And then he goes into verse 9 where we will read this morning. So let's stand together and read Romans 12 verse 9. You won't have to stand anymore after this until you walk out, okay? All right, let's pray together. Or no, I'm sorry, let's read together. Verse 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Let's pray together. Father, bless your word this morning for us. Teach us from it, Lord, about being genuine, not just before you, but before this world where we live today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The Christian life is really the only life there is worth living. It took me 34 years to discover that, but I finally did. Praise the Lord. And he allowed me to live that Christian life. You know, when you try to talk to the world or people outside of the church, uh, what I mean by that is people that aren't Christian, they don't grasp the Christian life. It's unexplainable to them. It doesn't make sense to them. Paul wrote that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So the Christian life goes right along the same uh, way. You only can understand the Christian life when you experience it, when you surrender to it, when you give your heart and life to the Lord Jesus and he begins to change you into that Christian that he wants you to be. You begin to understand that Christian life. Verse 8, uh, as I said, verses 1 through 8 of chapter 9 spoke about that transformation. Now... In verse 9, and what we read up to verse 13, we see how we are to treat each other as Christian people. We are to be genuine. Let's start right there uh, with this thought in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. We all know hypocrisy. We love, I mean, we hate hypocrites. We, the word hypocrite uh, is really comes from a word actor, somebody who pretends to be something they're not. Someone who wears a mask, that's a hypocrite back in, in the day this was written. So we take that word to mean somebody who's fake, somebody who's not genuine. Paul says, let your love not be with hypocrisy. Let it be genuine. That word hypocrisy there, your Bible may have a different word, but the New American Standard uses hypocrisy. In the Greek, that word is sincerus 
we get our English word sincere from that. Sincerest. Sincerest means in the Greek without wax. So where am I going with all this? When someone would make a clay pot back in this biblical time, they didn't have the refined art of doing it like we do, but they would make one and then they would kiln dry that pot. And sometimes it would develop a crack. And what he would do, instead of destroying the whole pot, he would take some wax, the color of the pot, and rub it into that crack. And then he would sell it. And it became a problem because people might leave that pot sitting outside. The sun on a hot July afternoon would melt that wax, and here, here's the crack in their pot. So they began to develop a practice of when there was a pot made that didn't have a crack in it, they would write sincerus on it, no wax. So Paul is telling us here, let your love be without wax. Let your love be genuine. Let your love be sincere, not hypocritical love. Now, how do I do that? How do I love genuinely? Well, he tells you in verse 9, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Your Bible might say, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. That's a good way of balancing out genuine love. Genuine love is a practice that we... Well, here's what I have on the screen. Luke chapter 10. Jesus said these words, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So genuine love has to do with ourselves. Genuine love has to do with how you treat yourself. Genuine love has to do with how you feel about yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So how do I do that? I have to refrain from the things that are evil, and I have to hang on and hold fast to the things that are good around me. Now, who determines what's good and evil? Well, I could take a poll in here, and we would get, however many people are here, a different answer about who determines what's good and evil. I would think in here we might get the same answer, but if we did that outside the church, social media would tell us they have the answer to what is genuine or what is true or what is evil or what is good. But you and I know who determines what is good and evil. That's God. God determines what is good and evil. He's done that from the very beginning. He told Adam, don't eat that tree in the middle of the garden or you'll die. And so Satan caused doubt to arise in Eve, and she ate the fruit, and the whole process of sin began, and now it falls on you and me. I'm an inheritant of sin. Sin is in all of us. We cannot escape that, as Nathaniel brought out. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so who determines right and wrong, good and evil? God himself determines that. Now, Satan is very good at taking something that is evil, but he wants to paint it and make it look good. He wants to rub some wax on it. He wants to fool you. He wants to make you think that what is bad is really good. The Bible warns you and I about that, doesn't it? Woe to the man who calls good evil and evil good. That's even in the Old Testament. So we have to be careful. You and I as Christians, we don't live by our opinion. I have my opinion and I don't always agree with God. I think he could have done a different job in a particular area and it would have fixed everything. Or I think he did too much over here. He didn't do enough over here. And we all think that once in a while. I don't think that very long 
because I know where that leads. I don't doubt God. I don't refute God. I want to surrender to Him. I want to follow Him. So I believe in His ways. I believe in His Word. I believe in His promises. And so I've learned in my life as a Christian to surrender to those. I live now my life in the light of the Scripture, not in the light of Clay's opinion or your opinion or someone else's opinion. I want to live my life according to what God says. I think it goes back, way back in the Old Testament. Look on the screen with me. Deuteronomy 8. God told the Israelites through Moses, God humbled you. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is the inspired word of God. God breathed. Amen. This is God's word to us. Man lives by this. Right? And so we must understand that. And we want to determine what is evil and good. Read the Bible. God will help you determine what is right and wrong. For example, we are to love ourselves as we love our neighbor. And how do I do that? I hate what is evil. But do you really do that? Do you hate what is evil in you? Or do you just hate what is evil in your neighbor? You see, the Bible says, do not worry. Now I got everybody's attention. Do not worry, Jesus said. So when I worry, I'm sinning. Because I, he said, don't do it. But guess what? I don't call it worry. I call it concern. So now I put a little wax on that sin. Now it doesn't look like worry. It looks like concern. Or do you gossip? Well, we don't, in Christian circles, we don't call it gossip. We get a little wax and we rub on it and we call it sharing. We're sharing with one another. But we're really just talking about one another. We're gossiping. Amen? So you are to abhor or hate what is evil, but do you hate what's evil in you, inside of you? That's what he's talking about. Hate the evil that's in me. Get rid of it. Abhor it. Turn away from it. Hate it enough that I stop doing it. That is how I produce genuine love. It's just not the evil I find in the world. It's the evil that I find in me the wrong thoughts, the wrong attitude, the bad attitude, the wrong way, going against people, being uh, obstinate, being abusive. That's what God is talking about in hating what is evil and then clinging to what is good. That's on the flip side. Hate what's evil, cling to what good. That makes a great balance in learning how to uh, love genuinely. Now, love. Let's talk about genuine, uh, I mean, let's talk about holding to something good. And, and I thought about uh, our children, and, and we like to, grandparents like to spoil their children. Parents, not necessarily, but grandparents love that. And I want you to understand, and I know you know this, that's really not good for them. And especially if a parent is spoiling their child because they're afraid of spanking them. 
or they're afraid of hurting their feelings or they're afraid of causing some kind of damage if they get onto them in a particular way. Let me show you what God says about that in Proverbs 23. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from hell. Hate what is wrong. Hang on to what is good. Spoiling my kids is not a good thing to do. Okay? I need to hang on to the good thing. Discipline my children. Discipline them. Give them authority figures in their life. Show them that there are people in their life that have authority. And you've got to surrender to that. You know what's wrong in our generation today? We see it on the news all the time. Nobody has respect for authority. You know, I drove home uh, the other day on I-40, and I'll guarantee you there were probably a dozen at least cars in 100 miles that passed me going 100 miles an hour. They had to be going 100 miles an hour. I said, where? And this was not, they're all following each other. This is just people randomly driving. There's no authority figure in people's lives. We have to be aware of that. We have to make certain that we're loving genuinely by teaching authority to our children, teaching them that there are boundaries that you have to live by. We don't teach them uh, necessarily the, with a harshness and a towing the line kind of an attitude, but we teach them that God says He has a standard to live by. And we are to live by that standard. And so that is holding to what is good. The Bible, teaching it to my children and my grandchildren to hold to a standard that God sets in life. Hate what is evil, even in me. Hang on to what is good, God's written word, and teach that to my family. Now I'm showing genuine love. That's what verse 9 says. Let your love be without hypocrisy. So, how do I do that? Well, genuine love is God's kind of love. As I said, first I learned how to hate evil. I never compromise. I don't pat myself on the back and say, Okay, Clay, you messed up big time. Let's just forget about it. Love doesn't do that. Love addresses the sin in my life. Praise God. I'm glad that He does that. He loves me enough to address the sin in my life. The Holy Spirit convicts me of that, and I'm able to deal with it. I'm able to repent from it, turn away from it, turn it off, get it out of my life. God gives us that opportunity. Why? Because He loves you. Hebrews chapter 12 says God disciplines His children. If you're not being disciplined by God, the Bible says you're not His child. You're an illegitimate child with God. You might think you're His but if you're not under his ruling, disciplining hand of love, then you're not his child. He disciplines his children so that they will walk the path that he puts them on. So that they will be seen in the world as followers of God. Now, love doesn't stop. Love continues. Genuine love finds the good in everyone. Genuine love is a realist. God is a realist. Look in verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. You know, I, I grew up with a brother in the home. Many of you probably had brothers, younger or older. And I'll guarantee you, when we were kids growing up together, there wasn't much brotherly love. 
right? Last piece of chicken on the plate. It wasn't brotherly love coming into play there. It wasn't brotherly love in all of the things with a brother. But Paul's not talking about siblings, is he? He's talking about church family brothers. Be devoted to one another with brotherly love. What, what is he saying there? That's impossible for us to do on our own, to be devoted to one another. But here's how I do it. Continue the verse. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. So how do I show that I have brotherly love for you? I put you in the preferred seat. If we come to the doorway together, I step back and say, would you come through? I give you the first step. I give you the first seat. I put in my mind the welfare of you over myself. I put in my mind the, the welfare of your possessions, of your heart, of your soul. I put that in front of mine. That's being devoted in brotherly love, concerned for the welfare of other people. You know what we call that in simple terms? Courtesy. Simple courtesy. How many couples today in America would stay married if they only had simple courtesy for each other? Instead of talking and arguing and demeaning one another and backbiting and fighting and dragging and kicking and screaming, if they just treated the other with courtesy, what would that do for America's marriages? Amen? What would it do for the church? That's what Paul is telling us to do. That's genuine love. Being devoted with brotherly love to one another. You know... It's a simple way of respecting each other. That's genuine love. The third thing I want you to see is in verse 11. Let's go on. Verse 11 says, Not lagging behind in diligence. Not lagging behind, but being on call 24-7. I know you, like many and me included, we get up or go to bed or have a bad day and we become a little bit moody. Somebody from the church calls and wants something done and you said, I can't do it right now. I don't feel like doing that right now. Or we say this, I've done this for so many years, it's time to let somebody else do it. That is not genuine love. Genuine love is not lagging behind in diligence. How do I do that? The next word tells you fervent in spirit i keep the spirit aflame in my life i keep the spirit moving in my life i keep working towards the goal of god in my life and, and being the man and god that he wants me to be and the woman of god that he wants you to be or the man of god he wants you to be you stop lagging behind and you pick up the slack don't lag but move in the spirit serving the lord he says the secret is to be alive in the Spirit. Look on the screen. Matthew 7. Oh, I had those up there, didn't I? Maybe. Or our clickers biting the dust, Russell. 
Okay, I, I didn't have that one on the screen because I'm down to it and uh, I have to go back. There we go. No, not that far back. <laughs> Sorry, Russ. Hey, here's what I wanted to tell you. Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he said, uh, they were asking him about serving and he said this, you know, if you had a slave and he was out in the field plowing and he came in, uh, who would say to him, hey, sit down and eat uh, while it's hot? And Jesus said, nobody would say that to their slave. They would say this, hey, you come in from the field, you change your clothes, wash your hands, you serve me the food, and after I've eaten, then you can eat. The disciples said, yeah, that's what we would say if we had a slave. And Jesus said, likewise, when you have done only the things you were supposed to do, you can say this about yourself, I'm an unworthy slave because I've only done what I should have done. Stop lagging behind. Serve the Lord. Jump out in front. Do the things that God, that's genuine love. That's love without hypocrisy. That's loving the Lord the way that we should love the Lord. It's being ready 24-7. Don't lag behind. The next mark is in verse 12. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Hope is the anticipation of the glory to come because of the circumstances we're in now. That has to do with the promises of God. We are in deplorable circumstances as a country, a nation, humanity. But yet, the promises of God reveal to us the glory that is to come. Here it is in Romans chapter 8. Here we go. <laughs> Put that one up, Russell, would you? Romans chapter 8. And it says there that Paul is considering that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So the things we're going through, the circumstances we're going through, gives us hope of the promises of God for the future glory that we are to receive. You think about a farmer right now who's probably dancing in the streets, okay? He plants that crop in hopes, doesn't he? He has no control over the weather. He has no control over anything. He doesn't even have control over the seed. But he plants that seed in hope that the rain will come and release that seed. The soil will come and cause that to be fruitful. The sun will come and cause it to grow. And all that put together, the farmer reaps the fruit of that seed that he puts into the ground. He plants in hope. You and I serve in hope. We know that Christ is coming. We know the promises that he's made. And we depend on those. And no matter what we go through in this life, we persevere in tribulation because we are connected and devoted to the Lord in prayer, trusting that God is at work in this world. That's the normal Christian life, right? Now, the last mark is in verse 13. Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Genuine love understands that it is a channel, not a reservoir. Genuine love understands that God gives so that we can give. God doesn't give so that we can hoard. Therefore, if we are givers as we have genuine love, we give freely because we know the supply will be returned. Amen? You cannot outgive God. 
I'm not talking to you about tithing right now. I'm talking to you about giving. Giving of the things God has given to you. You got clothes and instead of throwing them in the dumpster, take them to the clothes closet. You've got things, instead of throwing them away, give them to somebody. Give them away. Be generous because that supply is inexhaustible that filled your place. So give it away and God will refill you again. That is genuine love. That is what God wants us to do. It is giving that we may receive. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 that the Macedonians, though they were poor, gave out of their abundance. They gave out of their poverty. They gave of things that they needed for themselves. And yet they gave. Genuine love is generous. Now let's get to the real test. All right? We think those weren't hard. Now it gets tougher. What happens with genuine love when you have to react with it? What happens when somebody slaps you in the face? Let's read on in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. I want to stop right there. I don't want to go no further than that. I don't want to bless the people that persecute me. But that's what the Bible says genuine love does. And if you want to be genuine, then you better pay attention to what he's telling us here. Amen. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Let's stop there and just go over those briefly for just a moment. You know, genuine love reacts in particular ways. It's really a matter of our attitude. How do you feel when you're mistreated? How do you feel when somebody runs you down? How do you feel when they hurt you or cheat you? You don't feel like blessing them, I'll promise you. In fact, you probably can't bless them, but Jesus in you will. And that's what he's asking here. You've got to remember something about the book of Romans. It's not Jesus and I. It's not Christ and I. It is Christ, not I. It's not Christ and I. It's Christ, not I. It's Jesus in us that accomplishes these things. It's impossible really for you and me to bless somebody that's hurt us. We would rather run them down. We would rather talk about them. We would rather disconnect and not say a word to them ever again. We would rather just put it away and let it go. But that's not what genuine love does. Genuine love blesses that person. Oh man, that, that, that's heavy, isn't it? to bless someone that, that has persecuted you, but that's what the Bible is telling us. It goes on to say in verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Now what's he saying there? Uh, is this somebody else that I'm supposed to rejoice with? Oh, I can rejoice with the Christians at church and weep with the Christians. No, that's not what he's saying. He's telling you this. 
the person that persecuted you, when he rejoices, you go to him, write him a note, give him a word of encouragement. When he weeps because of something that's happened in his life, you go to him and you weep with him. The guy that persecuted you, the guy that talked about you, the guy that ran you down, that's what genuine love does. It's that guy that you go to and weep with and rejoice with. Not somebody you get along with, but the person that is your enemy. The Bible talks about our enemy when he's hungry, feeding, when he's thirsty, give him a drink. And what do you do? You pour heaping coals on his head. What does that mean? We set him on fire. Hallelujah. We burn that guy to the ground. No. What that means is you pour heaping coals of love on his head. And you're not trying to bring him to shame. You don't want to shame him. Why? Because then you're going to pat yourself on the back and you're going to say, I got you, didn't I? I went around the godly way, but I got you, buddy. I showed you. Somebody hurt you, you want to get them back and you say, I'll show you. So you pour heaping coals on their head. They love, they repent, they ask for forgiveness, whatever the case may be. And now you've got the chest stuck out because you did the right godly thing. You know what Paul is telling you? That is not genuine love. That's hypocritical love. Let your love be genuine. Let me tell you a story. Uh, back in World War I, some of our American soldiers were in China. And they had it pretty easy over there, actually. There wasn't a lot of fighting going on. And most of them lived in off-base housing. And they had these uh, houseboys, these little Chinese teenagers or a little bit younger perhaps that would take care of the house, cook their meals, do their laundry, clean the floors, do all of that stuff. Well, this one particular story, there was a group of guys living in this house and they had a houseboy uh, and they couldn't pronounce his name so they called him Charlie. And he would take care of all their needs and they would play tricks on him. They short-sheeted his bed and then they'd laugh. They'd put a bucket of water over the door and call him to come in the room and he'd knock it over, of course, and get all wet. They did all kinds of these little tricks. And this went on for a couple of months, and then the guys got together and said, you know, that kid never lashes out. He always takes it in good humor. He laughs with us. He, he's really a great kid. Maybe we should stop treating him like that, you know? So they all agreed. So they called him in. They said, Charlie, we felt bad about the way we treated you, and, and we're not going to short sheet your bed anymore and we're not going to put the bucket of water on and we're not going to play any more tricks and charlie little boy said you mean no more tricks no more tricks charlie okay no more bucket of water on the door no more bucket of water on the door charlie okay no more short sheet my bed no more short sheet your bed charlie everything will be okay charlie said okay that's good no more spitty in your soup <laughs> okay hey was Charlie showing genuine love? Not at all, was he? He wasn't showing that, and we're the same way. We want to we get even. We want to take revenge. Genuine love doesn't do that. God goes on to say that. Be of the same mind, in verse 16, toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly, and do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not think that you're getting even with somebody. God says, don't ever try to get even because you won't let it lay. If you try to get even, you keep it stirred up. 
you keep it going. And you need to remember something. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. So the person that persecuted you and hurt you, God says, love them and bless them. Show them kindness. Show them grace. Show them courtesy. And God will deal with them himself. If you try it, you're going to be trying it on your own power. He's not going to be in it with you. Because he told you not to, and you try it, he's not going to be with you. And you're going to try it, and you're going to mess it up, and you're going to make it worse, and you're going to make it continuous. God says, let it go. Forgiving and move on. Amen? Blessing the one who hurt you. Now let's end the text today in verse 20. But if your enemy is hungry... Feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals of love on his head. Right? But do not become, I'm sorry, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So God has something that he wants us to do. Amen? He wants us to love genuinely. Now, it's impossible for you to do that. I've just stood up here and told you this is what you're supposed to do. But now I'm going to tell you it's impossible for you to do it. The reason why is because we can't. We can't let go like God lets go. We can't forgive like God forgives. We can't release it. It's always going to be in our minds. It's always going to wreak havoc on our life. But here's the key. Jesus in me can do it. Jesus in me will do it. I might go to my grave with that person being opposed, but Jesus in me will love that person. And you know what? I think eventually I would be able to. Some of you have been hurt by people in your life. Some of you can't forgive the person in your life. You're thinking of them right now. You are in a, you're in a bad way, brother, because we're blocking everything that God is trying to do through our life by preventing that love to be given. We block it. You know, we come to church every Sunday. We do what we're supposed to do. We, we give. We tithe. We go to Sunday school. We serve in the church. But we just can't get over that person or that group or that old boss or that old ex-wife or ex-husband. We just, it just tears us up. You have to stop blocking it. You've got to let Jesus do it through you. He's going to use your mouth. He's going to use your fingers. He might even use your feet. He'll use your eyes. He'll use all of your senses. But it'll be Him doing it. It's not Jesus and me. It's Jesus, not me, that can do it and that will do it. And that is genuine love. Stop blocking what God is trying to do. Look on the screen with me up here. I've got a verse from John 24. I want you to follow as I read it. It says, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You know, we've always referenced that to the Lord Jesus. He came to this earth and he died to bear much fruit. But I want you to reference that grain of wheat to yourself. And unless you fall to the ground and die to yourself, you remain alone. But if you die to yourself and you let Jesus fill you up, you will bear much fruit. Some of you are blocking that this morning in your life. You're a Christian, you know it. You're sure of your destiny in heaven, but there's just parts of you that aren't right. Why don't you come this morning and get on your knees right here and get it right? Cruz and Lynn, why don't you all go get ready, okay? Get it right with God this morning. You have that opportunity. Let go. Amen? You can't do it, but He can through you. I pray that He gives you the power of the Holy Spirit to work that out in your life right now. Let's pray. Father, bless this moment as many are thinking of things in their life that they're hanging on to. One might be unforgiveness. One might be a hatred. One might be anxiety. One might be depression. Whoever, whatever the thing we're hanging on to, Lord, we're blocking you from fulfilling your purpose in us. Lord, we want to let go of it. You're the only one that can fix it. You are the great physician. You do provide ultimate healing. And Lord, today I pray that as someone's here struggling with alcoholism, drug abuse, sexual abuse, sexual addiction, all the things, Lord, that this world throws at us and tears us down with, I pray you might set someone free in this place today, right now. I pray you bless Cruz and Lynn as they come today to be baptized. Thank you for them coming this week and talking to Kevin and myself, Lord, about you. I pray you work in their life in a mighty way. Father, I thank you for Nathan coming to lead our church in music. I pray you bless him, Lord. And I pray that you uh, convict us all now of things in our life that we need to let go as we have this invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen.